0: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show brought to you by Tractor Supply, where we give away more chicken coops and chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of the Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the absolutely free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tractor Supply. When you need an incubator, think Brenzi, the incubation specialist. Brenzi has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brency.com. Brency spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brency.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories you need an incubator think frenzy technology you can trust you've just entered a dimension of dirty water a dimension of poop filled water a dimension of stagnant water you've crossed into the dirty waterer zone but up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The BrightTap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit ChickenWaterer.com to learn more. That's ChickenWaterer.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pins, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pins for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at WareMFG.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Wear Manufacturing. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. It is Thursday, and it is the last day of broadcast for this week. So we hope you enjoy today's show. We've got Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. He's going to be here talking all about... Um, Wood. In fact, he's going to be talking all about specifically uh, best wood heat practices. Wood, pellet stoves, uh, the economics of wood versus other heat sources, Uh, wood load or work time, um, commitment, just good old American renewable energy is what he's talking about today. You may have a wood stove there in your home Maybe thinking about getting a good old-fashioned wood stove, or one of those big uh, cast iron belly stoves, or maybe you want to cook with. Uh, anyway, so so he's going to be here joining us uh, in just a few minutes and talking all about what we need to know about heating our homes this winter if we choose to use good old-fashioned wood. So, a great episode and great information. This is a part of our uh, homesteading sustainable living series that we do the f- uh, second and fourth Thursday of every single month with Richard Friedberger, longtime publisher of Back Home Magazine. So he'll be joining us here in just a second to talk about that topic. Uh, Hope you're doing well. It has been one heck of a busy day today. From the time uh, Caleb woke up, (laughs) we always wakes up early, um, to now it's just been uh, off the hook as far as getting everything done that I need to do. Uh, It all falls kind of in one day. Yes, we are going to have again the third annual Black Ostrolorp Friday sale. No, not just your standard Black Friday sale the day after Thanksgiving, but the Black Ostrolorp sale, not just chickens, but all kinds of chicken-related products from our sponsors will be on deep discount. Uh, so we're going to be doing that again. We'll start p- promoting that a couple of weeks before uh, Thanksgiving. The sale will run from Black Friday all the way through and through the day on Monday, which is Cyber Monday. So we're getting geared up to do that again this year. It's always a big hit. Our sponsors love it. Our fans love it because they get to save a lot of money on products that they've been looking at buying all year long. So this is a time they can do that and save a little bit of money at the same time. Black Ostrador Friday sale coming up from Chicken Whisperer ink. So it's going to be great. I know we'll have uh, baby chicks you can order, not just black Australorps, but a good assortment and variety of layers, um, incubators, uh, maybe the chicken swing that's out there, um, the chicken fountain, the bright tap waterer, and the sweeter heater. We'll just have just everything on on a great sales for that. You can shop in the comfort of your own home so you don't have to deal with the crowds on Black Friday. So I've been working on that, contacting the sponsors, getting that geared up. I spent probably 30 minutes talking with yet (laughs) another uh, television producer that uh, that called me uh, today and picking my brain. So we talked uh, about that for about 30 minutes as well. And uh, just some other uh, uh, work-related stuff regarding next year, 2015. It will be here before you know it. We'll be on tour again in the spring and uh, just a chick days, events, but really the whole nine yards. So it has been a very, very busy day here, uh, getting everything, uh, all the loose ends kind of tied down from uh, being on the road for seven weeks. But uh, we enjoyed that, spreading the chick love and meeting all you great folks. So we're going to head on over to the uh, switchboard. And, uh, oh, reminder, no show tomorrow, of course. We don't do shows on Fridays. But we will return on Monday. I've already confirmed with Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, that we're going to do open mic, and you can call in. Uh, I'm going to go back, uh, I guess it was about three weeks ago, when we were going to do open mic, and people posted questions on the Facebook page. Uh, we'll probably do a lot of those questions. That show got canceled. I think we ended up having a scheduling conflict on uh, the book tour. Um, but Monday we will have a show, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio with Peter Brown, the chicken doctor. And uh, so we've got that going on all righty there will be however in fact, I know there won't be a show uh, next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I will be at the Sunbelt Ag Expo. It is the largest agricultural expo in the United States. This year will be the biggest year they've ever had the expo in 37 years of doing this. It's on about a 628-acre lot uh, in Moultrie, Georgia. I will be speaking on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday about backyard poultry. And uh, it's just an amazing, amazing farm and ag show. I'm looking forward to attending. So is my son, Caleb, because they have acres and acres of crop that they actually live demonstrate, whether it be tilling or baling hay or cutting hay or harvesting cotton or corn or soybean or whatever the case may be with these big John Deere International, New Holland, all these tractors. It's going to be awesome. They'll have a test drive track where you can test drive some uh, Chevy Ford Dodge trucks, they're going to have a tractor parade each day. They've got uh, a bukoos and bukoos of, of vendors with their various products. And also this year they have a whole area for smaller hobby farm, backyard, uh, flocks, bees, gardens for those that don't do it commercially but still want to participate in the big event. There's a whole area, a whole arena, a whole set of vendors for just you, the smaller backyard poultry keeper beekeeper gardener composting goats whatever the case may be so looking forward to that i will be there all week we're heading out monday coming back friday there will be a show i think i think there'll be a show on monday i have to look at my travel schedule i think i'll be able to get there in time to boot up and do the show on monday but because my speaking schedule uh tuesday wednesday and thursday are out so uh hey come on out to the uh uh Sunbelt Ag Expo. People come from all over the country. Literally tens of thousands of people. 37 years strong. Largest farm show in the country. Come on out and say hello. You can get your autographed copy of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. I'm going to have plenty of them there to hand out to all the folks uh, partaking in the, uh, in the event there uh, at the Pavilion for my uh, um, speaking engagement. So, already head over to the uh, switchboard and we've got Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine, that's given my big Chicken Whisperer. Welcome. Hey, Richard, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you coming on. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So we've got a topic today. and we may have touched, I think we've done in the past, the best woods for the wood stove and different things like that, but uh, interesting topic. Again, wood heat best practices, wood pellet stoves, the economics, workload, time commitment, just a good old American renewable energy we're talking about today. And it uh, is the season with people getting prepared for winter and heating their home. I even had somebody comment, comment on uh, Facebook that that's how they heat their home every single day, every single year, is with uh, wood heat. So uh, it is a uh, pretty common out there. Even if it's just an extra fireplace or two, or uh, the pot-bellied wood stove, or uh, you know, pellet stoves in there to heat their homes. So uh, I know a lot of people have those, and, and they enjoy that. Um, when we were touring uh, up through the Northeast, uh, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, New York, you know, places like that, uh, we did probably many times, and see the number of people. Uh, that, that were heating their home up there in the northeast with wood. They had the big wood piles. Many just had wood delivered. They were in the long logs. I mean, we're talking as seemed to be 25, 35 feet long logs still in log form, but they had dumped them off at the house, and they said started working on a pile cutting and chopping and uh, are just massive amounts of stacked wood outside their home. And so uh, it was it was interesting to, uh, to see that as we traveled further north, 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 and see how many people actually were heating uh, their homes with wood. It required a big number of folks and, uh, that had either a collection of wood or were starting to, uh, uh, or had it just delivered, you could tell, or even just a whole log, literally twenty-five, thirty-five feet long, maybe a, a couple of dozen of them, just <laughs> delivered there, and they uh, had the little wood splitter set up, and they had started working on a pile. So it was pr- pretty interesting. And so I know I'm interested, and a lot of our listeners are interested in what you have to uh, teach us today.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's important to uh, cover that, even if we talked about it, you know, before um, about oh, this yeah. time of year, every year, you know, people think about heat; they should be thinking about heat. And, of course, when you're paying for uh, fuel, oil, or gas, uh, it's just a matter of writing a check or, you know, going online and paying for it, but, um, you know, the push of a button and you have your heat, but when you heat with wood, you've got to plan ahead, and, um, and you know, the ideal time to be thinking about this is not now, but uh, in the summer, really, um, when you have had time to, uh, you know, to cut your wood, split it up, uh, um, think about, drying and all that kind of thing so uh but as it as it often happens with procrastinators um, like a lot of people are um we really wouldn't don't think about wood until um until uh september october when it gets cool and um i mean then remember that we have to keep our wood supply up now you know as you mentioned a lot of people have wood delivered and that's certainly um uh, certainly true um People who are casual wood burners uh you know weekend wood burners or just casual once in a while burners have a fireplace or something like that uh, It's not so critical with them I and mean, they can they can uh, purchase a little bit of wood or, or not have to plan ahead too far but um as it happens people who are who burn wood every year and and really count on it as as either all of their heat or or most of their heat um have learned to uh develop a a pattern or a practice where they would where they will definitely order in the wood uh well in advance of um of burning it or they will cut the wood um you know months ahead of time um or you know better yet they'll cut i mean ideally you you'll you need to be cutting um you need to have cut this year's wood last year and give it a good year to dry you know that's a you know then then you know it's dry um uh you know at, at the same Time you know the wood you're cutting now in these nice cool weekends or after work or whatever um that's the kind of that's the wood you'll probably be using next year um giving it at least six months dry and and um, cure and get all that moisture out but um you know I think today 's show i mean we can't we can 't cover everything we have no no there's no way we can uh, we can cover everything having to do with wood heat in the time we have but um but I thought we'd just sort of generally touch on a lot of things, uh, you know, reasons for heating with wood, um, some of the, uh, some of the points about what's, what kind of stoves, wood stoves there are out there, um, maybe, um, a little bit about, uh, probably not so much about species unless we have questions, uh, oh, you know, uh, wood species, hardwood versus pine or whatever. Um, but, um, you know, it's pretty much open, open, uh, conversation and, and, um, uh, and wood as 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 you said wood is is really america's one of the prime american um renewable energy fuels it's 100% you know local or or, or regional i mean nobody ships wood from say um montana to uh you know to uh, louisiana i mean it, it everybody's got some source of wood fairly close by um and as you mentioned before um gotten in a number of ways i mean i i myself Gather everything I use uh, uh, right here, either on my property or very close to it. Um, I'm the guy the neighbors come to when they, you know, when they have a tree cut down, or when they cut their own tree down, or when they contract to have a tree cut down by a, a tree guy. Um, uh, they will save themselves money and do me a favor by telling the the uh, cutter to just leave it. Uh, but, you know, it costs it costs more extra money to have the guy trim all the branches off, cut it into pieces, throw it in this truck, and you know, more times than you would think that wood just ends up in the landfill. I mean, and I know there's a lot of a lot of uh, wood, uh, professional wood um, uh, arborists and tree cutters and trimmers and, and landscapers that that do sell firewood on the side, and I you know that's congratulations to them for using it. But you know, I've spoken to more than I I care to mention that just because they're so busy. At certain times of the year, they just throw it in the back of the dump truck and dump it off the landfill, and, uh, and they have to pay a pay a uh, tip fee to do that. But um, they just pass it on to the customer. So it's really just a matter of um, the price of fuel has a lot to do with the, pl- the price of regular fuel. When the price of oil and and propane and natural gas gets up up there, then wood heat is is becomes very popular. Uh, um, and uh, vice versa. When 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 propane is cheap or oil or whatever is is uh, affordable, then the, the wood heat wanes. Um, the good thing about a wood stove is you can use it one year, clean it out, close it up. There's no maintenance on it. I mean, it really it can sit there for you know for six months or six years, and you know you can just open the doors and put wood in it and start it up again. You don't have to worry about calling the tune-up man to change the filters or check the burner gun or whatever it is that if you left a regular furnace sitting for 6 5 years or something you definitely have to have a service uh, call made so you know it's a it's a very economical way to deal with it and and uh, depending on the investment you want to make in equipment and it doesn't have to be a huge investment I, I myself don't have um you know I, I heat with wood um almost exclusively I do I do use a little bit of propane but uh the it's so expensive and um and uh in my work schedule the uh the, it takes a while for the for the um I have hydronic heating so it takes a while for the water to get hot and and go through the system so it's almost not worth it um to um you know unless it's, unless i put it on like an automatic 24 uh, hour timer cycle it's just not worth it to to turn the heat on and then really have to turn it down um and it's not even got hot yet because the water hasn't had a chance to you know to Get it so hot and and run through the uh, through the boiler tubes and all that stuff. Um, the wood stove is sort of the same way. It does take a little bit to get it started, but people who burn with wood have uh, generally practice, uh, you know, a, a cycle where the wood the fire is always on. I mean, except for except for uh, when you have to clean it. You know, there'll be there'll be cycles. There'll be high you know hot cycles and cooling cycles and ember cycles and all that. Uh, fires tend to go down at night, and then you you. Most, most folks in the country they wake up They you know, their early rises, they they will feed the wood stove first thing and, and um, you know, it's it's actually more healthy to sleep in a little cooler a little cooler environment anyway. So it works out pretty well. During the day the wood stove's just um, pieces in there for a, a while um, and it works out, you know, really well. Um said you can buy- A chainsaw and a log splitter, or a maul and a, and a wedge and a hammer, a sledgehammer to uh, to you know every every, uh, every once in a while uh, go out and cut you know set aside some time to, to cut your wood and stack it properly and uh, it, nobody wants to do it all at once because it's sort of tiring but you know a little, a little here a little there a little, a little when you have an hour or two and um, it builds it adds up. Um, on the other hand, you can, uh, you know, cut your own trees down, like I do. Uh, I don't, I don't cut live trees uh, generally unless they're risking something as far as hitting a building or something. But um, there's a lot of deadfall, and as I said, neighbors, the right of way, the estate um, has right of way clearing. They do occasionally, and that sometimes includes bigger, you know, bigger uh, trees. And the home, uh, when people build homes, uh, they have to clear trees. So it's, you know, it's not that difficult to get. Free wood, and I, I don't think I've paid for wood in many, many years. Uh, you know, it's all—it's all basically for the asking. So, um, so you can cut your own wood, and in, in which case, you do have to rent or buy a splitter. Um, owning a chainsaw is a good idea in any case, whether you whether you heat with wood or not. Uh, you know, if, especially if you live in the country, just just for clearing limbs and driveways and things, and stor- times of storm and high winds and stuff, things fall over, and you need—you may need to clear out. Uh, clear out a path, or get a limb off the house, or clear your driveway, or something. Um, a chainsaw is not a, a very, not an incredibly expensive piece of equipment. So, um, so that's um, something that's sort of nice to have around. A log splitter may not be for everyone. They can, they can get pricey, and ranging from say, probably about a thousand dollars up to, uh, up to, over, a little over two thousand um, for the size that a homeowner or or light, you know, light farm use would use. Um, that again, that's rentable. Um, I don't own one. I, I usually borrow or rent one. Um, I'd like to own one probably, but at this point I just haven't ever bought one. Um, that'll, that will just saves your back. Uh, it's still healthy. Or a wedge and a hammer. But, um, you know, the splitter makes short work of it when you have one or two or three people to just take an afternoon and just split up a bunch of wood the quartz you know, a couple cords of wood, and then maybe you know, uh, go through as much uh, as much as you can with a splitter. Um, and I, I have learned um, to, uh, over the years, you know, dry wood splits better than wet wood. Um, most times, um, you can be selective about the kind of wood you, the shape of the wood you cut. In other words, uh, you know, avoiding. Uh, knots and crotches in the trees and those parts of the trees that are they're that difficult and very hard to split you you don't need to be splitting them um you can set them aside and burn them whole or just avoid them completely um, and the uh uh the other the other thing I've learned over over time is that you it's it's not a bad idea to especially with difficult uh species of wood like say, hickory or something that's hard uh, you know uh, some of the maples or the uh, or the um, ash or something where it's where it's, you know that sometimes just difficult to split. Uh or stringy wood like um we have a lot of yellow poplar and it's just a stringy kind of a tough wood to split. Um we I take the chainsaw, I, I cut I cut the um the wood into maybe eighteen inch lengths, stand it up stand the pieces up on their ends, uh the rounds, they call them rounds, round pieces, and then just take the chainsaw. Um on a lot of the wood, especially the big ones, the the one's larger diameter and just run the chainsaw down about the depth, the full depth of the bar, you know, about, about three or four inches, uh, and start a, start a saw curve just, you know, just about three or four inches deep. And then it's very easy to aim that wedge or that, um, maul in that crack and just whack it right open. Um, so you're not, you have a little bit of a head start and it, it doesn't take that much fuel to cut that little bit of, um, of wood with the chainsaw. And you don't need a, you don't need a large, a large chainsaw or do that either it's, it's a pretty simple cut. Um the blades aren't really designed to cut that way. They're they're designed to cross cut, but it is simple for that little bit of a cut for it to go through and uh, it doesn't hurt anything. So um you know processing your wood is is either, you know, it's something you get real involved in or you just or you can just um pick up the phone and you know call people and and you know most folks get uh, um most woodcutters have repeat customers if they're honest um reliable people where they deliver their wood on time and they sell you the wood they say they're going to sell you in the amount they're going to sell you they tend to have repeat customers so um so you know it's always a good thing and you know, sometime in the late summer or whatever just uh, you know pick up the phone you have the have the you know pick up truck load delivered or however they might deliver most most people in this area anyway do it by the by the truck load and charge accordingly that's not uh in a big truck that may be 5 eighths of a of a cord of a, a full size truck um other people will deliver a, uh by the cord um in a in a larger truck or they'll make two tr- two trips with a with a regular truck but um but uh you know you get the idea of it just it's really just what what the local economy will bear in the way of uh prices and uh, there's there's a lot of folks who um who just cut wood on the side I mean they they just to make a little money on the side uh we hope or hopefully they're honest people sometimes the, the biggest the biggest problem I think with with uh sort of uh, uh on and on again off again uh wood purchases is that the wood isn't isn't cured properly people will say yeah. it's dry in fact in fact a lot of people will think it's dry i mean they really they're not they're not deliberately telling um falsehood but uh but it looks dry, the outside's dry and it feels dry and it maybe isn't so heavy that it's you know dipping wet heavy, but when you actually go to burn it, um it it isn't it isn't dry <laughs> enough and it um it it's not so much that it it will burn, it just smolders and it just doesn't make any heat and that's a a very disappointing um situation when lots you're and lots and lots and lots
0: of smoke is all, yep, yeah, what yeah, you're right. going
1: to produce. Exactly. And you've lots of disappointment too <laughs> because at first that first Burn or two of the season is always pretty exciting i mean I, I don't i don't care how long you burn wood it's always it's always sort of a new a new event and um and when you you throw a log in there that's not ready to, to burn um that's uh that's that's not a good thing um i you know just um i had had some experience in building and working with uh drying kilns for lumber for construction lumber uh, uh you know sawmill type lumber and um and there is in those days when I was doing that, uh, the moisture meters were pretty expensive. You actually there was actually a meter that had two little prongs in it, and you stuck it in the in the wood, and you could read from the um, from the uh, it's actually a little electrical charge that goes between the two probes. Uh, you could tell how um, how much wood, how, what the what the moisture content was in that in that piece of wood that you were measuring, um, and those things probably cost you know four hundred six hundred dollars or more. Um, because they were commercial tools and professional tools and, you know, uh they were worth it. These days, with the with the wonder of modern digital technology and just the just the way some a lot of that equipment has sort of spread uh down, filtered down into the consumer level, uh you could probably get a moisture meter for I don't know, maybe thirty five dollars. I I I'm just guessing, but it's it's not a little handheld thing. If you yeah. if you if you buy wood from a a wood vendor it would it may not be a bad idea to carry to buy a little wood moisture meter and and hammer it in there and just see what the moisture level is before you buy it because um then you get an honest uh, an honest equation you can work with um a kiln a wood kiln lumber is dried to uh, at least 19% 19% moisture content um in some parts of the country when you when you dry wood or you buy wood or or, or dry it on purpose for uh, uh Especially furniture making or, or things where the wood has to be fairly dry, um, and in places where the uh, where the humidity is low, like um, Arizona or New Mexico, that wood content can be down at you know 13 or 11 percent, which is extremely dry. Um, we wouldn't expect that in firewood, you know, for the most part. But um, when you get wood up at the 45, 50 percent moisture content level, it, it's just really too wet, too um, too wet to burn, and it does take. You know, four months, six months, um, and ideally a full year to get that 50% moisture content down to the 25% or so that you'll need to be, um, you know, burning it at. And that's um, just a matter of time and and storing it in a in a Richard, place if where. You,
0: um, if you're doing that yourself, let's say you have you've cut down a tree or you've had the whole logs delivered, um, is it preferable to? Let that whole log, say 30 feet long, there for a year, and then cut and split, or is it better to go ahead and cut and split, label it, stack it, and let it um, um, cure or whatever you know um, for the year or so, already cut and already stacked, or does it matter? Oh, it does matter. It's definitely definitely better to um,
1: to take the log as soon as you can and cut it. Um And cut it into the lengths you'll need, in other words uh, most wood stoves, little ones will take sixteen inch lengths, bigger ones uh you know eighteen, and some of the some of them will take up to twenty four especially some of the older ones um were made to, uh-huh. to uh, just huge logs um anyway whatever whatever it is size of wood you cut that you cut that tree into into the length of firewood you want, and then you split it as soon as you can and get it stacked up as soon as you can because that just exposes much more surface area. Of the log to um, of the of the of the wood to air and sunlight, which is where you're going to get your moisture loss. So um, so the more you can get it out in the open air and covered. And when I say covered, I mean a lot of people take the take a tarp and they cover the whole wood pile. That's not that's not a good idea. You you really just need to cover the top because what you want you're trying to avoid rain from coming into the pile, but you but you do want wind, you know, breezes and sunlight and whatever to to get through the wood pile, so most of the moisture, in fact, almost all the moisture, comes ex- exits the wood through the ends, not not through the sides, but through the ends. So if you're looking at a, a split piece of wood that, say, looks like a triangle, you know, a long a long triangle, and you have the rounded part of the where the bark was, or still maybe uh-huh. the two sides, or the wood comes out the ends. You know, the, the just the, each end of the wood. It doesn't the moisture the moisture does not much of it does not come out the the cut split sides or the bark side um but it does need it does need the sunlight and the wind to to expose the all surfaces to the to the, uh, to the wood to let you know let to draw the moisture out because that's what happens is the the w- wind goes by there the breezes and evaporates it out and then sunlight hits it and just draws the draws the moisture right out of those uh, wood cells so um um yeah it's much much better to uh, to do it as soon as you can now if the wood is fresh cut, it's going to be—it's uh-huh. a little more difficult to use a saw on like sloppy, wet wood. I mean, it's just—you
0: it, uh-huh.
1: know—that's just something you have to live with. But you can also wait a little bit and let get some of that real excess moisture out of there because that'll—that'll get out, mod, you know, fairly quickly. But uh, but it does take time to get the to get down from say fifty percent down to
0: you know down to twenty five, and that takes a while to draw that out. Uh, Follow up question on that, because um, you had mentioned, I was thinking this in my brain about. Uh, the surface area of, let's say, you take a log, um, round, uncut, you just took a section out of that, that tree. And maybe the log, the, that section is plenty small enough to throw on the fire uh, and burn. Um, you've got just this round section cut off of this limb or, or the main trunk of the tree. We'll say it's 20 inches and, and however big around. Um By putting that on the fire... Um, it would seem to me, again, novice, no clue, that that would end up burning longer than if I split that into four pieces, uh, but it may burn. And, and, and the, you can kind of see where I'm going with this. If I put that whole yeah. log without splitting it on there, I can see it that maybe burn, you would think, hotter and, and longer than if I split it four ways, because now i got a smaller piece of wood. And it's all these splinters that are going to probably burn faster and maybe not as hot. And I'll be replacing it more. What's, what's the science behind that? If you know, is, is it a combination of both the whole log and the split? Does it matter if you do all whole, it'll be longer and harder to get it started, but it'll burn longer. Is it, is there any, um, just curious on all those things when you're grabbing wood from the pile and throwing it on there, which would be better or a combination of both and long burn or fast start?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There is a difference. Um, the, uh, the the way you set it up in the stove is important and the way uh and and how it works from that point on is important basically what happens is the the uh full the whole log is going to burn slowly and with less heat than the split logs split logs are going to because they're smaller less mass and more more um uh combustible uh surface area it's going to burn uh quickly and it's also going to burn more I- given the same um moisture content if both the if both the big log and the little log were at the same moisture content or even more likely the the big log is probably a little wetter because it hasn't had chance to it hasn't had the opportunity to let all of its moisture out so it's going to it's going to be say, slightly more moisture content in it um but the little the split logs are going to burn uh quick more quickly and they're going to burn hotter cuz cause they, cuz cause they actually Flash up more quickly, and the big log is going to burn uh, more slowly, but it's not going to burn as hot, and that's going to be your sort of your backlog, and that's the way a lot of people build their fires. And I think that's I know I know some people have different different opinions and different ways of doing it, but uh, but a very traditional way of building your of building your fireplace fire, which carries forward into a wood into a uh, freestanding wood stove type fire, or even a fireplace insert fire is to put that big log in the back because that's your, that's sort of your um, um, bounce, heat bounce log. I mean, that sort of absorbs the heat and keeps it from, um, it sort of just redirects it back into the, um, back into the fire burn area and also uh, doesn't allow the heat just to jump right up along the back wall out the flue. In some designs that can happen. Um, and so it's always good to have like a back, a backboard i don't know what there's actually a word for it which escapes me at the moment but i think i think some people you know, listening will know exactly what i mean um and then and then you replenish the wood from the front and and that'll be the split pieces now starting a fire and and maintaining a fire may have two different um wood laying patterns but but uh, what i'm talking about now is once the fire's going um you're going to have that big log in the back and then the uh, and then the uh, you'll replenish the fire from the front and keep it you know keep it going that way um and that you know that really um that has always worked well for me and it it um it works probably good for anyone who has either a fireplace or a fire box that's big enough to you know to um to do it that way um you know some of these old stoves some of these uh, especially the pre-1980 stoves where they were you know before they had um before they had the uh, catalytic converters on them and the, and some of the EPA regulations they were just huge boxes and the doors were some of them like the fishers and some of those big old big old stoves and they're they're good old stoves and they have huge fire boxes and you could really get some heat out of them um and you know they're most of them are cast iron and they and they still are functional today and perfectly you know perfectly functional and and very uh you know very collectible as far as people actually using them um and there's reasons not to i mean there's you know from an environmental standpoint that's a whole different discussion but um you actually can use a can use an older non non uh EPA stove in a way that it actually will burn fairly cleanly um but uh, it has to be uh, babysat to do it that way so um i you know that's a that's sort of a, a long discussion but um but essentially uh the um the EPA because of because of the excess particulate emissions which is just basically smoke particles that were that were coming about as 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 the uh as a result of a lot of people in the in the late 70s 1970s and the early 80s were using um using wood heat um they um they actually developed a program which i, I believe took effect in 1987 that um, uh that limited the particulate matter from the stove so there were there's uh, several, there's two different levels um some stoves are exempt some of the smaller stoves are exempt um and some of the larger stoves uh the big the big um outdoor wood boilers are exempt so you know there's it's not a cut and dried across the board kind of thing but um but for the most part the, the kind of of residential wood stove you're going to be buying for inside use today whether it's freestanding or whether it's a um uh fireplace insert is is most likely going to be an EPA Regulated stove, which which is either going to be a catalytic combustor or what they call high tech high tech design, which uses um, which uses uh, airflow and um, and su- and patterns and su- and in some cases uh, blowers and such to um, to make the burn so efficient that that the uh, that the um, smoke levels and particulate emissions are negligible, and they they'll pass uh, you know pass the EPA requirements. But in some communities so, yes. like where no, sorry, yes. Go ahead. Uh, I'll let you finish up, and then I've got a, another question, okay, I was just we'll
0: saying, go for
1: a break. Okay. In some communities um, where wood burning is, is uh, you know, very traditional, so, uh, Massachusetts, uh, in Oregon, um, Pen- certain parts of Pennsylvania, there, was, there were certain areas in in a number of states that were so affected by smoke inversion, meaning the smoke never got out of the valleys or never got out of the community where everybody was burning wood, and... and um, and the smoke wasn't just blowing and dissipating into the into the uh, uh-huh.
0: you know the next county
1: it it would sort of just lay there in the valley or lay there in the in the in the region in the in the neighborhood and um uh, actually it's bigger than a neighborhood but into in the area there and it became a real issue and uh, and the um, you know the health departments and just uh EPA and other state agencies got involved and it, that basically is what it's what sort of kicked off this whole particulate particulate emission um, uh, program because because it was affecting the health of uh, children with asthma and uh, the older adults and people and it you know it, it, that costs society money over time so they really had to uh, to really had to look, clean that up but that's that's all I mean it's basically um, there was a reason for it it wasn't just a, it wasn't just an idea that they were going to regulate an industry it was it was uh, it, it affected everybody but it was it was really aimed at a, a few a few regions in the country that's that's all.
0: Ooh, I'm going to ask a question a will go to break and we'll address it when we come back. Um, you talked earlier a little bit about how, you know, when, when the other type of uh, heating fuels go up, you know, what becomes a little bit more popular and when it goes down, it's not so popular because they can heat their houses using, again, the the, the other different type of fuels. Um, I don't know if you have, and it's going shed some light on this uh, when we get back from break, but like, you know, factoring in, really the true cost uh Of burning wood versus maybe buying the pellets at the store or doing propane or doing electric heat or you know the other the heating oil uh different things like that, but uh, when you factor in um I guess there be, would be many factors. Okay, well, I have to now purchase this wood, um, and I'm paying so much per cord, and I need so many cords to get me through the winter. Uh, either that, or that may be a, little, a lot easier to figure because you're just like, okay, at the to purchase of the wood. But it's not that simple because you, you may now, if you're cutting the wood from your own property or having logs delivered because they're, they're less because no hadn't had the time to uh, cut it and split it, factoring your labor, even if you factor in a minimum wage, um, how long it takes to uh, cut and then split and then stack and then tote it in. And then once you're done, you have all the ashes that now you're going to have to shovel into a bucket and take out one bucket at a time and then at you know, the time of putting more wood into the stove versus flipping that switch um i would like to hear when we come back kind of your take on that is that a realistic way to figure you know the cost comparison because you know we always hear you know, your time's worth something and because we talked about that on, on the road and we saw all these people burning wood up in that area like uh oh, what, what 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 hard work you know, not having to cut and then split and then your time of stacking and then curing it and then uh, for a year or whatever and then um and then toting it inside and starting the fire, and then like I just said, you know, all the ashes. Now you have to tote out of the firebox. So uh, when it when it comes right down to it, is it comparable, or is that all those labor costs? Again, it's your times. It's not really coming out of your checkbook. Uh, but that's what that's what we'll talk about after break, folks. We're talking with Richard Frutenberger, publisher of Back Home magazine today, uh, all about again. Uh, heating with wood throughout the winter a very timely topic, and there'll be more uh, all about this topic when we return after this short break. Stay with us. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. They are passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at UrbanCoopCompany.com. That's UrbanCoopCompany.com. Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. Proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit chickenfountain.com. That's chickenfountain.com. Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack hen savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your Hensaver aprons today at Hensaver.com. That's Hensaver.com. Established in 1957, GQF has become the name to trust when it comes to quality products and superior customer service. GQF offers a wide range of poultry products, including incubators, brooders, feeders, waters, and much, much more. Give them a call at 912-236-0651 or visit them online at gqfradio.com. That's gqfradio.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer, here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Our guest today, Richard Frudenberger, publisher of Back Home Magazine. And we're talking all about wood, heating our homes uh, with wood and how... Um, Uh, the good, bad, and the ugly regarding that. And right before break, we uh, asked Richard if he could talk a little bit about really the value of that when you factor in everything that we mentioned uh, before the break, you know, taking the time to find out who's going to sell it to you and then getting it delivered and cutting it and splitting it and then stacking it and getting it in the house and then cleaning all the ashes and taking that out bucket by bucket. And when it all comes down to it, you know, yeah, you know, your time's worth something, but it's not really coming out of your checkbook writing that check every uh, month for flipping a switch or turning on the heater or, or what it have to be. So uh, I guess uh, if you look at the, the true cost, but time's worth something. If you paid yourself just minimum wage, uh, how would it pan out? $10 an hour? Maybe how would it pan out comparable to other things uh, when you factor in uh, your time? And I don't know if um, – you know if you have any answers to that richard or if you've seen anything regarding that or is it still a better value versus you know uh, something else
1: no yeah it's not it's not um if you're if you're comparing it to to um uh, the uh, you know other fuels as far as buying you know buying gas gas or natural gas or or uh, oil okay. oil uh and and you factor in all your time and such it's not once you start once you start buying, you know buying wood uh, already cut and split, and and you know then you have to stack it, or maybe you get help with with the seller stacking it. And, but you you start counting all that in. If every every little bit more you you know you have to do um, that way, uh, including the cost of the uh, of the seller's uh, you know his sale price for the wood and the time he puts into it, and he has to charge you build in money for delivery of the wood, um, all that kind of thing. And if you pick it up, you're still going to have to pay, you know, pay for your own fuel. Um, when you start factoring all that in, it, it becomes less and less attractive. And it's not, you know, it's not necessarily um, a lot cheaper, if if at all cheaper in some communities. Um, as you get closer to urban centers or suburban centers, the uh, firewood becomes less and less easy to come by and becomes more and more valuable. So, so it, it doesn't become as attractive. But if you look at it, in the sense of a, uh, in a, in a rural situation or a country, even a, even what I might call exurban and sort of a suburban community. That's not, that's not Uh in, you know, city city central, um, that chainsaw, you, I I, my last new chainsaw was purchased in 2001. So that gives you an idea how long they last if you take care of them. Um, the, um, you know, that equipment's going to last you for, you know, a good, a good, if you take care of it, probably a good 10 years or more. Um, and uh and so you have to factor out okay i bought a chain so i bought a even a log splitter i i, I built a little lean to to put my wood in to dry it you know so i have a little place you know not that expensive um you know a couple of poles and some roofing material and, and that's about it um you know you 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 multiply you divide that by 10 say 10 years or whatever number you want 12 years or 6 years or whatever and and it doesn't look so bad because you've you've amortized the cost over you know over a number of years um, and the other thing is, I mean, I know a lot of people I know um, who should be out exercising, or maybe even pay if they do exercise. They're paying to go to a gym to exercise because it's convenient. You know, right. if, they're, if they're sitting around watching TV a lot, maybe they can carve out a little time and, and cut some firework. You know, I mean, it's you know why why pay to go to a gym when you can get some you get some good you know reasonably uh, you know well free exercise. Um, yeah. um uh, you know without killing yourself you just just uh, like i said you don't want to dive into this thing and cut all your firewood for a whole season in in one weekend i mean it, it has to be done a little bit at <laughs> um uh, yeah and uh, you know just to, for your own body's sake and just for your time management it's good exercise um it and as you use the wood you know as every day when you when you, you go out in your porch or in the back the back, or wherever you store your wood, and you have to go out and you pick it up and bring it in. That's a little bit of exercise. You're walking. You're picking it up. You're, you know, it's not, it's not brutal, but it's, um, it's more exercise than you'd get by just sitting, uh, you know, sitting on the couch. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, you can factor that in too for just health reasons and, and whatever. But I, I don't think anybody, unless they already have the equipment, um, or they intend to buy equipment and then amortize it over like a long time. I don't think anybody's going to really come out um, that far ahead economically by, you know, by burning wood, unless you unless it's like the perfect storm where you you have your you already have your own equipment, you already have your own source of wood, you already have downtime in your work schedule that you're not really sacrificing another income source just to cut the wood and use it. Um, you uh-huh. know, then that's then you probably are saving, you know, quite a quite a bit of money um i I know propane for example is is a very expensive commodity i mean it's 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 way more expensive than natural gas at least where where i live and uh and more expensive than oil um and so i you know i really don't i try not to use it i mean all I use it for is the is the stove you know the uh the range you know the cookstore right. and the oven so so um you know we, we have uh, uh space you know like a little space heater. And a and a and a central heating system that burns propane and all that, but that is rarely used. I mean it's just too expensive to run through with three you know, I've been paying I had been paying three seventy a gallon for propane. And propane <laughs> doesn't have the you know, doesn't have the uh uh full BTU value of the equivalent um, um natural gas amount. I mean it's it's um it, it it's sort of difficult. There are there are engineering uh and fuel Value charts that you compare every single thing from corn corn kernels to wood pellets to um, uh, firewood and various species to um, to uh, oil you know heating oil and 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 uh, propane and all that and making a blanket statement like that's probably a little bit an error on my part but, but propane propane is actually made from natural gas you know in one in one, on one hand the company has to just get the natural gas and 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 filter a little bit and um, and deliver it and you know type it and and it's delivered and there's an infrastructure on the other and the other case the propane uh, company has to take the natural gas convert it to propane store it you know clean it filter it ship it and so it's more and more expensive and that's why it's more expensive it, it's just it's just um, it, it costs more to process and the other thing is it's not regulated because the because the natural gas just like electricity it goes through a Infrastructure system, it's a utility, and there are regulations on what people on what you can charge for it. Propane is wide open. If if the propane dealer wants to charge you five dollars a gallon, he can do it. I mean, the only thing that keeps them in line is the fact that there's competition from other propane dealers and other fuel sources. So they have to regulate to some extent. But um, you know, it's not there's no there's no regulatory control on propane uh, or L, or LP, which is the same thing. Um, other than the safety regulations that all states have on on uh, storing it and
0: uh, and right. and kind of thing, but um, friend, so that's a friend of mine on a Facebook and longtime listener Robert Roseberry. He just commented on my Facebook page. Would actually heat you four times: cutting, splitting, stacking, and burning.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, no, absolutely. So, that's, 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 that's true. true. He's got a good point. You lit actually, five times because you'll get uh, you'll you'll be warm cutting it, and you'll be warm splitting it, and you'll be warm stacking it, and you'll be warm inside when yeah. you burn it, and then you'll get warm when you're actually getting that shovel, shoveling all the ashes into the bucket, and taking it out to where you're you're taking it. So, uh, yeah, he's got a funny point there. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and that's you know those ashes, as you as you well know, I'm sure, can be used in the garden
0: to help yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, modify acid um it's an alkaline substance you, you know you spread them thinly and uh and um if you, as long as you don't burn wood that uh, you never burn treated wood uh, lumber that has been treated that's absolutely unacceptable that uh, there's a lot of toxins that are released when you burn treated lumber so that's out um galvanized metal all that kind of thing uh not only bad for the stove if they have catalytic converters but also just bad for the breathing and bad for the ashes when you spread them in the garden but if you burn natural wood pine oak whatever um and you you can use those ashes for spreading um you know spreading uh help help uh, um modify the soil and uh, as an amendment and all that uh and that doesn't even include things like biochar and and various ways of making yeah. charcoal and such but but
0: um you know and
1: that that brings me to another thing i think that uh, i always I'm always surprised that people don't know it but i i guess they really they really shouldn't 'cause it's not not uh something people think about a lot. But you know, when you buy oak, I mean people just naturally think of oak, say, o- an oak or maple being uh, you know, being a hotter burning wood, there's more BTU value in it than um than pine. Well actually it's only only true because it's sold by volume. In other words you buy a you buy a cord a cord's worth of oak and it'll have more uh value more heating value in it than a cord's worth of pine, but that's only because of the way it's stacked and and um, and just uh, you know the density and the moisture content and all that uh, actually wood any any wood no matter by the pound not by the not by the volume not by the size but by the pound uh, most wood species um, all are, are relatively the same the same amount of heat comes out of it given given the same moisture oh. content so so if you had ten pounds of ten pounds of oak and you had ten pounds of pine it basically would Give you this uh, essentially the same amount of heat as long as they were both at say 20 percent moisture content, or, or, or as long as they were both the same moisture content. And how about you know the, the other, how about
0: the safety factor in that? Because I, I was always taught growing up that I want to use a limited amount of pine because with the creosote or the buildup uh, up in the chimney and the flue and things like that, pine is not real good for for that. Is that kind of uh, yeah, that's urban legend true. myth now. Or no, or no. Really no. It it only
1: it only becomes less important now because because modern codes and uh-huh. and retrofitting of old chimneys with modern stainless steel liners, which is what they do these uh-huh. days. If your chimney has a crack in it, you know, in the smoke when the um when the um uh-huh. uh, chimney sweep comes by to, you know, do his cleaning and do inspection whatever. Uh uh-huh. if there's a crack in your in your flue tile or a mortar break or if there's some damage from a chimney fire or whatever, um the uh uh Insurance company will generally um, recommend or, or oftentimes pay for. Because that's what happened with me. They actually will pay for the uh, licensed uh, installer to come in and, and put a stainless steel sleeve or jacket uh, uh-huh. down in the flue and hook it up to your wood stove. And with with the onset of that kind of technology and and in, in new construction, uh, frequently they'll, they'll use a stainless steel liner. That creosote problem has become less and less of a problem because it even though it still happens it doesn't um it doesn't affect the uh, uh the, the structure that much um but you're absolutely correct i mean i i um i mix my wood i i don't burn i will burn all sorts of wood all species of wood but i do not um i, I try not to um burn uh more than uh, I and mean, i don't i don't percentage it out but i mean it's really probably no more than 25% pine in with the you know i have mostly oak a little bit of maple and a lot of poplar and um you know i'll mix it maybe 25 75 hardwood to to softwood huh? like pine and um it it will it, pine burns very hot and very uh quickly it, it makes it hot and because there is those tar and resins and what it, whatever in there they will they will uh, burn very quickly but um but they do leave a residue and uh and of course the drier the better with with that but um but uh yeah i would not advise using um uh using um you know a, a strictly pine pine or or spruce or um or other uh you know green type tree evergreen type tree uh would um ex- exclusively because it, it does it does build up you know content so uh that's
0: that's that's absolutely true and um uh yeah, sure there's probably somebody out there that's listening or will listen to the podcast uh once it's archived and the you know done this for years super expert and they're like oh yeah so so based on pine burning faster and hotter, I'll um, you know I'll put the pine in with maybe the hardwood and have the big log in the back like we talked about that'll that'll stay you know burn longer and and but not burn as hot and then you know, they've got their own formula to where they're getting the fast heat from the pine and the quick heat and then on top of the pine they're putting the hardwood and they got the log in the back and they're just really optimizing all these options that we learned today. <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah! No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's, it's a real <laughs> it's a real
1: skill and science and art, really, of uh, of wood burning. And it's um, it's um, uh, you know, and there's so many stoves. I mean, I mentioned pellets, and you know, that's again, that's a whole new conversation. But the wood yeah. pellets are pellet stoves are very convenient, um, very reliable. Um, they burn hot. They don't smoke because the the stoves themselves have have uh, some of them actually have backdraft. Fans that prevent they circulate the air within the stove, so there's no um, there's no smoke puffs. Um, they can be they're, they're auto fed with a with an auger, so they so they um, you know you don't have to you just you just you can dump a pile of pellets into a into the <laughs> hopper and it will burn for you know two days without them to refill. Yeah. Um, they even have backup uh, off grid type uh, backup systems that you can purchase separately that um, that will let you operate the stove completely without any power uh at all. I mean any any uh utility power. Because like the good thing about our wood stoves or all of our wood stoves is that they all work they work whether the um whether the power's on or not. And in fact, you know, I've relied on mine many a time when the po- you know, when the power's out to um you know, to keep eating the house and uh, uh throughout times when there's just no you know no other options. we I mean, make hot water on it, um just a lot of stuff. So um in a stove like the post stove where you actually have to plug it in for the auger to work they do sell backup uh, systems that let you uh, still burn and and uh, and work with your pellets. The, the problem with the pellet stoves, uh, which is not really a problem for many people, is the fact that you do have to uh, have a source of pellets, and the price of those pellets does fluctuate. Um, uh-huh. And if you uh-huh. can find if you can find a source, and they have to be store, stored dry as well, so you can't just chuck them out behind the house. And even though they're wrapped in plastic, they you know you don't yeah. you really need to keep them in a dry situation. Um, if you can if you see a sale somewhere or somebody happens to have them on sale for a really good price it it would behoove the pellet burner to buy as much as many uh, bags of pellets as they could and store them um for the lower price and the, you know go that way but i mean some people uh, in other communities up uh, especially up north they burn um they burn coal they burn what they call pea coal um or just really small small pelletized coal um in communities where coal mining is you know is, is prevalent and um pellets and uh and um uh some some stoves for burn wood chips um uh, but for the most part you know by and large most of the wood stoves burn just chunks of split wood just like you know like we know as firewood and um you know it's just a you know it's just a a good um you know a good a good like i said a renewable resource that wood is going to um is going to produce the same amount of pollutants um, over time, whether whether it whether the wood rots on the ground and gives up its you know gives up its carbon carbon dioxide, or whether it's in the fireplace burning, it's going to give you know give off the same amount of of um, uh, uh, carbon dioxide uh, regardless. It's just when you put it in the in the wood stove and burn it, it does it all at once, and uh, that's not always a good thing. But uh, but maintaining the fire in a healthy way and not not choking it down too much um will will uh, encourage a cleaner burn and uh, and wood is renewable i mean it just you know we get rid of and throw away a lot of wood that we could be burning and you know people just don't always take advantage of it and uh, i i did have a note to myself to re- just to say this so people would know what a cord of wood is what how big a, a real cord of wood is um there's several different ways of measuring cords a face cord full cord uh they have different words in different parts of the country for a cord but a full cord of wood which which is the way most wood is measured is um is a is a stack of wood that's 8 8 feet long 4 feet high and 4 feet deep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And when you buy wood you have to be very careful not to be buying face cords I mean unless you pay less for them because uh if if you uh, a face cord is only only 2 feet deep or one or one one layer of wood from front uh-huh. to back, eight feet, eight feet long. Say a stack eight feet long, four feet high, and only one, one depth of log deep, which is only really about half of a true cord. So, so uh-huh. you don't want to actually be paying twice if somebody has wood for sale for, for a hundred and eighty dollars a cord, and you show up and you're actually buying a face cord, you're 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 paying twice as much as you should be. So that's something that you you really need to be uh, aware of when you if you're a newcomer to the wood the wood buying experience, um, and that's why it's always good to it's always good to, um, you know most commonly at least around here people buy by the truckload and you know what that is I mean you know that a Ford or a Chevy or Dodge truck or a Toyota Tundra or a or a big Honda truck is going to carry all about the same amount of wood and you know how much that is and you can see it. And the little compact trucks, uh, you know, they'll carry a little less, but you you know what you're getting. And if everybody charges by the truckload, then you know that Sam yeah. is down the road is is five dollars cheaper than than Willie, you know, down the road. So so you can sort of gauge that. Um, but it's uh, you know two two important things in 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 buying that wood is just knowing that you're uh, knowing that you're getting the the right amount for your buck, and also knowing that it's dry enough to burn. Um, you know, to burn for the seasons. So you don't have to wait. You know, you, if you've bought uncured wood, you haven't really wasted your money. It you may, it may be very disappointing that, that moment, but you can just put that wood, leave that wood in for drying and just use it next year. Um, but, um, you know, having, having dry wood down to 20 or 25% moisture level is just really, really uh, uh, good
0: for, um, you know, good for wood burning. Awesome. Well, that's a lot of information today. Um, Richard and of course it is the season so it's a very timely topic and a lot of people out there may use wood full time all winter to heat their house and uh, I'm sure even More than that, you know, we'll have the occasional fireplace fire or supplement. You know, I'll just keep the thermostat on 62 and then have a fire when I'm in the living room or have a fire, you know, here, there, or the other. So they'll supplement that. So uh, it it affects a lot of people out there, and I'm sure that we all gained some very uh, valuable information from having you on today. So we do do appreciate that. I think one of the last times uh, that you were on, we did talk about how – Back Home Magazine uh, is uh, kind of in a way go- going away, and Permaculture Magazine's come in and, and kind of taken over. So Permaculture will uh, uh, will kind of be the mainstay now, but folks can still uh, benefit from the 20-plus years of Back Home Magazine and all the information that's been in Back Home Magazine over the 20-plus years of you on publishing that. Uh, through the DVD series, where they can get a partial uh, amount of years, or they can get uh, all of the years uh, for the most part um, on on DVD and benefit from all those twenty plus years of homesteading information. And so, if you would before you head out, tell us how uh, we can benefit from twenty plus years of good sustainable living uh, information um, from your from your magazine through buying yeah, these DVDs. Yeah. Be glad to. We 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 do have. Um
1: you know, we do have a lot of um uh, our regular print back issues available. Um actually uh, almost almost all of them. Um and then the um uh and then we have the DVDs, as you mentioned. So the our toll free number is eight hundred nine nine two two five four six. Um in which case you'll get a, a real human being to talk to here in, in <laughs> North Carolina and take your order and um and we have some special packages of you know, bundles of uh buy so many and you know, shipping and all that kind of thing. Uh um and we also have books. We are clearing out our book um, book library, our book uh, bookstore. So there's quite plenty of titles left in all sorts of areas of uh of interest. Uh, energy and, and um and uh uh food, uh cooking, sustainability, um uh, green building, just all sorts of stuff. And uh, uh water, conservation, just just a lot of things. Um and uh all that is available as well uh online at backhomemagazine.com um and um, but even the books a- they, they can look at the the title of the books and what books you have in stock but yeah, on, exactly. on your website on the That'll website so everything that we update that weekly and uh you know if we if we sell out of a book we pull it off so you know you can or you can call us and ask us if you, if we still have the book or, or any book really um yeah uh, yeah permaculture has pretty much taken over our um our uh you know, readership, and it's um, it's a good, it's a good magazine. It's it's a it's a more of a global magazine. We have had some comments on that. I mean, I, I will admit that um, that's sort of the direction things are going. Uh, and I I myself have been pleased. There, people in Australia and New Zealand do things. Um, often have little projects and things. It's a new twist on things. Uh, you know, we don't always see the same thing, and it's a it's a good, it's a good look at another way of doing things. And I you know, I just it's not so. Um, it's not so bad, but we still for the for the old uh the old school old timers who just won't um we just have to have back home. We still have you know, we still have all those issues and, and the D V D digital editions and um and all that as well. So, um, you know, you get the best of both you know, both worlds.
0: Awesome. We appreciate it. Well thank you very much for, for joining us today and uh it looks like our next show will be on the twenty third of October. And so we look forward to uh, having you back then, the second and uh, fourth Thursday of every single month. Richard Friedenberger, longtime publisher of Back Home Magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for sharing all that great information today. Okay, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. See you then. Appreciate it. And that's going to wrap up another episode of Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whispered. It's Thursday, so it is. Uh, uh, it is. The, we're ready to start the weekend. But we will return on Monday with another great episode of Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown. So tune in this Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. God bless everybody. <laughs>